Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the presentation, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Senior Director of Education and Training, Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, G. Tamara, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop, Metastatic Breast Cancer in the African American Community, African Americans, New Treatments. Um, today's program is supported by an educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo, Inc., and I really want to thank them for their support of the program. Now, we have many participants on the program today. We have over 200 participants on today's workshop, and you come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, uh, frontier um, communities, and we also have international participants from Canada, India, Portugal, United Kingdom, so it's really a global call as well. And um, we are delighted to have all of you on this call today. You are clearly a group of what we'd call information seekers and wanting to get information. And now it's really my pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Edith Mitchell. Dr. Mitchell is Clinical Professor of Medicine and Medical Oncology, Department of Medical Oncology, Director Center to Eliminate Cancer Disparities, Associate Director, Diversity Affairs, Sydney Kimmel Cancer Center at Jefferson, 116th President, National, President, National Medical Association. And Dr. Mitchell will be addressing what's new in the treatment of metastatic breast cancer in African Americans in the context of COVID-19 experience, find the healthcare team to treat your metastatic breast cancer, the importance of African Americans participating in clinical trials, and how research contributes to your treatment options. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Mitchell. Thank you so much, Dr. Mesner, and welcome to this program uh, for all of the participants. I think it's so important that we discuss breast cancer in African Americans and what is on the horizon and how we're doing. So when we think about the uh, treatment of breast cancer, the National Cancer Act of uh, 1971 was the initiation of the United States War on Cancer. And uh, in December of 2021, we celebrated 50 years of cancer research as a result of the National Cancer Act of 1971. And very important, we know that uh, death rates from breast cancer have uh, decreased significantly in all individuals and particularly in African-American patients. Uh, it is also very important that we recognize that the burden of, of breast cancer in African-Americans is much higher than other uh, racial and ethnic groups in the United States there's a higher mortality rate. So more individuals uh, who are black die of breast cancer. 
uh, it has more advanced stage at distribution in black patients, meaning that the tumors are larger, they expand, and um, metastasize much earlier. Uh, there's a younger age of distribution. Black women develop breast cancer at a much younger age than other racial and ethnic groups, and the tumors are more difficult to treat with time uh, because some medications simply don't work. Uh, And there's a higher incidence of breast cancer in black men. So therefore, uh, this needs to be addressed uh, also. Triple negative breast cancer occurs almost twice at the rate of other racial and ethnic groups. And it's so important to understand that for triple negative breast cancer, there's no expression of uh, ERPR or ERB2, and thus we say triple negative. So all of these are negative. It accounts for 15% of all breast cancers, but 35 to 40% of breast cancers in uh, black women. Uh, The tumors are more aggressive. Chemotherapy has been the main option for treatment. Uh, but that is changing, and more common in young women, more common in African-Americans, Hispanics, and BRCA A um, individuals. Um, one thing that is important with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the rate of mammography decreased significantly in the country, which means that more women are going without mammograms. And the important thing, on February 24th, I want to say that we all need to get the mammograms done, get back to mammography. COVID, yes, is there, but the institutions do protect patients against that. Also, for treatment, you need to talk with your doctor about the vaccines, but all women undergoing treatment should receive the vaccines as well as uh, the booster. So talk with your doctors, talk with the staff about when to receive these vaccines. Bottom line is the vaccines do save lives and prevent individuals from being in the hospital because of uh, COVID. So get your vaccines and get boosted. Uh, Clinical trials. Very, very important because many of the regular therapies don't work in African-American women or in those with triple negative breast cancer. So you need to get the vaccines. There are some new uh, findings. First of all, for early stage breast cancer for black women, we need to make sure that our tumors are being tested for the right uh, genomics. And that means testing. Uh, Pembrolizumab, which is an immunotherapy, shows benefit for patients with high-risk early-stage triple-negative breast cancer with PDL expression. So that test for PDL needs to be done on the tumor, and therefore genomics being done. There is a U, the next study presented at um, San Antonio. U.S.-based study researchers found that black cancer patients may receive 
decreases in their treatments by modifications, uh, and that led to poor outcomes. So we need to talk to our doctors and their staff about if they're decreasing the recommended doses of chemotherapy. You do not need the recommended doses in all cases, and consequently, talk to your doctors about it. Uh, the next was a study presented at San Antonio. Black women have a higher risk of developing lymphedema or swelling of the arm after uh, lymph nodes are removed from the underarm area uh, when compared to white women. So talk with your doctors about the planned surgery uh, because the lymphedema or swelling of the arm is higher in black when compared to white women. For those with metastatic disease, uh, trastuzumab is one medicine that gives improved survival if HER2 is positive uh, in those with metastatic breast cancer, and that includes the patients with brain metastases. So, again, talk with your doctor. Uh, another trial found that patients with PDL expression of 10 or higher would benefit from pembrolizumab in com uh, combination with chemotherapy if metastatic breast cancer was present. Again, meaning that the tumor tissue needs to be checked for um, prediction of immunotherapy um, resistance or its uh, sensitivity uh, when given with chemotherapy. But it is beneficial. Uh, it is beneficial, especially in black patients, uh, but we need the testing for PDL1. Uh, and there are new data that suggests that genomic profiling can improve the results from treatment and treatment outcomes for patients with metastatic breast cancer. So it's very important for African-American patients to have their tumor tested for genomic profiling. That is something you can ask your doctor to do because in the past that has not been the standard uh, for treatment of metastatic breast cancer. So very important for African-American women to make sure they are participating in clinical trials so that they can have the advantages and the opportunities for the latest and the greatest in terms of clinical research, clinical treatment, and therefore get the best opportunities for treat, good treatment results uh, from treatment of metastatic breast cancer. So with that, Dr. Messner, my last two things that I just want to reiterate. One, get vaccinated against COVID-19. Discuss it with your treatment team and make sure you get the booster uh, vaccine as well. Uh, those vaccines do save lives and do allow for uh, better breast cancer treatment and the uh, less likelihood of being admitted to the hospital for uh, COVID-19. And make sure you're getting into clinical trials and receiving um, the best care 
but also making sure that your doctors uh, order and perform genomic profiling on the breast cancer tumor to make sure that you have the best chances for the best outcomes and improvements in the overall care of uh, breast cancer for African-American women, and that will give the greatest likelihood of uh, improvement. Also, uh, note some of the things that President Biden indicated in his Reimagine Cancer Moonshot for everybody, and he said that equal opportunities for the best treatments for everybody uh, to decrease uh, the mortality and the death rates as we know it now uh, for cancer in the United States. So, Dr. Mesna, uh, that is the last of my statements, and if people are interested, they can uh, log on to the President's Cancer Panel uh, to get more information on the recommendations from uh, the President and uh, the staff on decreasing death rates uh, from cancer in this country. I thank you so much, and thanks to all of the participants of this program today. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Mitchell. That was an exceptional presentation. Thank you so much. Really um, outstanding. Um, and, and we will actually um, send to everybody um, how to get the information that Dr. Mitchell mentioned um, in terms of Dr. Biden's remarks and Moonshot's initiative as well. Thank you so much. Um, and um, our next speaker is Dr. Kamel Abu Hussein. And Dr. Hussein is Assistant um, Professor of Medicine, Cooper Medical School, Rowan University, Lead Physician, Breast Medical Oncology, MD Anderson Cancer Center at Cooper. And Dr. Hussein will be addressing novel treatment approaches, the importance of diagnostic testing and technologies, the role of the pathologist, understanding precision medicine and how it informs treatment decisions, and the increasing role of telehealth, telemedicine approaches, uh, appointments. It's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Hussein. Thank you so much, Dr. Mesner. Um, now, I really intended this to give us all a great, a, like, general understanding of the current landscape of treatment for the different subtypes of metastatic breast cancer and some new updates. So I broke it down by the um, subtypes. So the largest one, which is a hormone receptor positive metastatic breast cancer. Now, for the management of um, this subset, um, there has been a significant improvement with the introduction of a class of drugs called the cyclin D kinase uh, 4 and 6 inhibitors. Now, those are oral medications that are usually combined with endocrine therapy or hormonal therapy, and they have shown a significant improvement in the length of time that the patient gets to live without evidence of disease progression. And they also led to an improvement in the overall survival of our patients. There are three available drugs in the market now, ribocyclib, abemacyclib, and palbocyclib, and they could be combined with different forms of endocrine therapy, whether it's an aromatase inhibitor, tamoxifen, or Um Just uh, 
an example of the, the newest trials in the three Asians. We have one of the three Asians that was studied in multiple different um, settings uh, in the Mona Lisa 2, 3, and 7 trials, and all of them showed consistent improvement in the overall survival with the use of this Asian tribocyclib, regardless of the endocrine therapy partner uh, and whether it's used as a first line or a second line, and they also show the same consistent benefit in pre- and postmenopausal women. Now, moving on past this line, the later lines of therapy for the hormone receptor positive breast cancer, there is the option of using oral drugs like Everlimus, which is typically combined, again, with Pazlodex, uh, and that has shown a very good ability to keep the disease under good control. And also patients who test positive for a mutation called um, the PIK3CA, which as Dr. Mitchell alluded to, is found on the um, genomic profiling of tumors. Those patients can have the option of being treated with an oral agent called alpha-lipid, which is also combined with Pazodex. Um, this has been all very meaningful in the management of this disease as it has been successful in maintaining control over the disease in a good number of patients, and that spares them the need to be on chemotherapy. Early on during the treatment course when the patients get to enjoy a good quality of life without the stressful side effects that normally uh, are seen with the use of cytotoxic chemotherapy. Um, a couple of interesting studies, actually, that were, were presenting recently in this subset of patients. Um, I will just touch quickly on the Emerald Phase three clinical trial, which is a trial that used a new agent called Elacestrant, and that is an oral uh, CERT, which is a selective estrogen receptor down regulator, just like Pavlovex, which is normally in the form of an intramuscular injection but that one is an oral medicine. And it was tested in the ER-positive metastatic breast cancer setting after progression on the first line of endocrine therapy and a CDK4-6 inhibitor. And it did show a meaningful reduction in risk of progression compared to standard of care treatment, and even more reduction in um, the same endpoints in patients who tested positive for a mutation called ESR1 mutation. Now, when they compared the alacestrin to the same exact class of drugs, but in the injection form, the fulvestrin, it also showed superior results. So overall, this trial is providing a promising, well-tolerated option with a manageable side effect profile consistent with other endocrine therapy options that we've seen before um, and has the potential to become the new standard of care. And we're still awaiting the results of the overall survival data from that trial. Another quick trial is a Padawan trial, which is a trial that looked at the same mutation, this ESR1 mutation, and they monitored it in the blood using the circulating DNA technology in order to optimize the endocrine therapy partner along with the CDK4-6 inhibitor when, once they detected ESR1 mutation. And they showed us that the median progression free survival was doubled by um, the switch uh, from the combination of an aromatase inhibitor and salbocyclib to fulvestrant and salbocyclib with no new safety signals. Now, moving on to another subset of metastatic breast cancer, the triple negative subset, 
this one is very, very important. And again, as Dr. Mitchell um, mentioned before, now we have the option of using um, immunotherapy in treatment of this subset. So we saw the results of a clinical trial called the Keynote 355 clinical trial. And that showed that the combination of chemotherapy and immunotherapy with an agent called pembrolizumab or Keytruda, that resulted in a statistically significant and a clinically meaningful improvement in the progression-free survival and the overall survival of the patient when compared to chemotherapy alone. That has become the new standard of care for our patients with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. Um, if they tested positive for the test, for that, uh, the PDL1 test called the CTS score or the combined positivity score, you have to score 10 or higher in order to be considered for this, this treatment regimen. Um, we also have seen other options that are FDA approved and available for the treatment of metastatic triple negative breast cancer. So now we have a drug called Sasituzumab Gobitikan, known as Tridelby which is in the class of the antibody drug conjugates. Um, now, this is a smart design molecule where they identify a certain marker on the surface of the cancer cells, and they develop an antibody against that marker, and they link it to a molecule of chemotherapy so that it would go find where that marker is and bind to it and release the chemotherapy inside the cells to kill it from within. Um, there is an ongoing trial. Um, they presented the phase one results. It's called the Tropion Pan Tumor Trial, which is a phase one that um, looked at multiple tumor types, including the heavily pretreated metastatic triple negative breast cancer. And it's using another antibody drug conjugate called DATO DXD, and it showed highly encouraging and durable efficacy uh, and a nice response rate in patients with triple negative breast cancer. And it seems to be very well tolerated with just low-grade nausea and stomatitis or inflammation of the inner lining of the, of the mouth as the most prominent side effect. Now moving on to the last subset, which is the HER2-positive uh, metastatic breast cancer. And usually the management of um, this subtype is um, a combination of chemotherapy and Along with that, there are antibodies that are geared to attack the HER2 receptor, uh, namely the Herceptin and the Progetin. And currently, there are several lines that are effective and available after this first line, and that included another antibody drug conjugate um, called the TDM1 or Catsilum. But we also have two very active medications. One of them is called Trastuzumab deroxycan, known as inher 2 which was introduced based on the results of a trial called the Destiny Breast O3. That, that one showed an improvement in the progression-free survival across the patient subgroups with an excellent benefit from the addition of this agent compared to TDM1 or Capsilum. And they also showed an improvement in the response rate and a consistent benefit in patients with brain metastasis. Um, and the last agent that I wanted to talk about here in this category is a medicine called Ticatinib, 
And usually this is combined with two other medications. One of them is Herceptin, and the other is a chemotherapy agent called Cacitidine, and used for the metastatic HER2-positive disease also. And it was studied in the HER2-CLIMB clinical trial. Again, a very effective regimen in patients um, with CNS involvement. So I was asked also to address the whole concept of diagnostic testing and precision medicine. And I always remind myself that breast cancer is the disease with the first targeted therapy uh, based on what subtype of breast cancer is detected during the time of diagnosis. Um, and that is normally um, depending on whether the cancer is positive for the hormone receptors or the HER2 receptor or negative for the three, so the triple negative subset. And now we have numerous receptor-directed therapies, as I mentioned earlier, that have dramatically changed the natural history of treatment of breast cancer. So the profiling of the tumors or getting an NGS or a next-generation sequencing panel, this is um, a process where they can sequence billions of base pairs of DNA in a time and a cost-effective um, manner and they can detect some mutations in the DNA populations and give us the chance to capture some genomic regions of interest where we can use some targeted therapies. We also recommend um, germline testing or genetic testing for some um, presentations in breast cancer. And now we have the approval of an oral um, class of medications called the PARB inhibitors for patients who are germline mutated BRCA breast cancer, namely two agents that are approved, uh, Olaparib and Telazoparib. Another thing that is exciting about the diagnostic um, technologies, we have the liquid biopsies, which normally can detect um, the cell-free DNA, which are the little fragments of DNA that are shed by the cells in the patient's circulation, or the circulating DNA, which is the DNA shed specifically by the tumor cells in the circulation. And the whole goal of this is to clarify specific features that are unique to each individual tumor and be able to tailor systemic therapy based on that. So we moved away from chemotherapy as the main cornerstone of treatment, and now we have immunotherapy, we have endocrine therapy or hormonal therapy, we have oral targeted therapies, we have biologic therapies, and so forth. This is the essence of really what it means to have precision medicine. Um, I was also asked to clarify the role of our pathologists. How do they play a role in the treatment of every one of our cancer patients? Um, and the role is very essential, really. So it starts from the initial time of diagnosis. So this is how we get to determine the subtype of the breast cancer based on the receptor status. So if it is positive for the estrogen, the progesterone, and the HER2 receptor, and also they report other parameters that helps us understand the disease biology better, like the grade of the tumor, so how active the cells are dividing, grade one, grade two, grade three, and so forth. Other markers like the KI67, which is a proliferative uh, or the proliferation index of the cancer. Um, also, when patients proceed with treatment before they go to surgery, so we call that neoadjuvant therapy, we look for the final pathology outcome. So 
what response did the patient have to their treatment before surgery? And based on that, we can tailor the treatment that will follow after surgery. Uh, and then every time a patient repeats a biopsy during the journey of dealing with metastatic breast cancer, that is very helpful because it informs us what the choice should be for the next lines of therapy and so forth. And in the end, just a little blurb about telemedicine. So I think the, the whole concept of virtual visits has gained a lot of popularity since the beginning of the pandemic, and um, it has been extremely helpful for us and our patients to continue taking care of them uh, in a safe way. Um, there's a lot of positive aspects to it, and I don't think it's a replacement to the in-person visits, as there are some limitations to it, like you can do a proper exam or any exam, really, um, but probably a hybrid model between telemedicine and in-person visits is a reasonable approach as both complement each other nicely. And um, I know that my colleague, Dr. Tayo, uh, will go into um, this topic with some details. And uh, because of time constraints, uh, I'll stop here. And um, back to you, Dr. Mesner. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Dr. Hussein. That was a really a wonderful, just uh, an outstanding presentation. And actually, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, but thank you for really going into the detail um, so people can really understand um, all the treatments that are available for them, um, just the wealth of, of treatments that are now available. So um, thank you so much. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. Evelyn um, Taiwo and Dr. Taiwo is Assistant Professor of Clinical Medicine, while Cornell Medicine, New York Presbyterian, Attending Physician, Hematology and Oncology, New York Presbyterian, Brooklyn Methodist Hospital. And Dr. Taiwo will be addressing preventing and managing treatment side effects, symptoms, neuropathy, discomfort, and pain, coping with metastatic breast cancer in the context of COVID-19 and its variants, key questions to ask your healthcare team about quality of life concerns and follow-up care, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, list of questions, follow-up appointments, and discussion of open notes. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Taiwo. Thank you, Dr. Mesner, and thanks for having me here. So you've given a summary about um, some of the things I'm going to touch up on, on over the next um, few minutes. So in terms of um, preventing and managing treatment side effects, symptoms, neuropathy, discomfort, and pain associated with treatment, obviously the side effects that a patient may experience really depend on the type of treatment the patient is on for their metastatic breast cancer. Um, for patients who are getting um, endocrine therapy, which is anti-estrogen treatment for metastatic breast cancer, some of the side effects associated with the treatment, such as um, hot flashes or what we call arthralgias or myalgias, which are muscle aches or joint pain or joint stiffness, those are relatively well-managed with very simple interventions. For patients who experience things like um, hot flashes, generally the recommendation is to wear light clothing, wear cotton clothing, sleep with minimal clothing at night. Um, things like smoking and coffee drinking sometimes do increase the body temperature, so we do recommendations abstain from certain um, um, behaviors that may increase um, those, those side effects. 
We also know that for patients who have significant side effects that are intolerable, there are antidepressants at very low doses, which are different from the doses we use for depression treatment that we're able to use to manage some of the hot flashes that patients do experience. Um, for some women, sexual health is also something that is a concern when they're on anti-estrogen medication. Um, side effects such as um, vaginal dryness, we do see that in a, 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 a you know, a, a a certain percentage of our, of our patients. And generally for those patients, we'll recommend just water-based, over-the-counter um, lubrication, which is generally um, easy to, um, to get access to and usually controls the side effects that are associated with the medication. When it comes to medications like chemotherapy, generally there are some common side effects that are associated with most types of chemotherapy, and then there are more um, specific side effects depending on what medication or chemotherapy the patient's on. But in general, some patients may experience fatigue, um, some patients may experience diarrhea, other times it's constipation. Every now and then patients will um, report side effects such as um, a nausea associated with um, their treatment. Um, what's interesting is we have very good studies showing that the side effects of fatigue are actually generally well-managed with physical activity. It's a little counterintuitive, but we have very good data that uh, physical activity often helps with um, some of the um, fatigue that's associated um, with chemotherapy. So for patients who have the ability and the energy to be physically active throughout their treatment. We do recommend um, uh, um, physical activity. We have very good data in terms of um, yoga as well in patients with breast cancer. We um, recommend um, good sleep hygiene. Getting good sleep helps with fatigue associated with chemotherapy. And in patients where we're still having difficulty with the amount of fatigue they're experiencing, there are times where stimulants um, are helpful in helping um, deal with some of the um, um, fatigue. Then obviously with the diarrhea, anti-diarrheal medicines are very helpful. For constipation, we recommend stool softeners, laxatives in, in, in certain cases. Um, generally, these are conversations that happen very early on, even before treatment is started in, ter in terms of what um, side effects a patient may experience. So a lot of this supportive treatment should be readily available. We generally would recommend that patients have anti-nausea medicine, constipation medicine, um, pain medicine, if there's pain associated with the disease, to have these things available at home so they have access to it when they do need it. Um, something that is also very important that um, uh, as patients do experience some um, psychosocial side effects from um, dealing with the cancer diagnosis, um, anxiety and depression are things that we um, do see um, in some of our patients. So very early on, there are many centers that also factor in a mental health counselor, a psychologist, a therapy as part of the treatment plan from the very beginning at the time of a treatment initiation. So there's someone who's able to talk our patients through whatever feelings they may be dealing with. And then we are um, moving on to um, a more specific side effect that could be debilitating if it's not caught or managed um, very early on is neuropathy. Um, neuropathy is basically just um, destruction, basically just irritation of the nerves. Um, generally, we see it in the fingers and toes. These are peripheral nerves. And so patients may come in complaining of um, um, numbness and tingling. And there are different ways of grading the numbness and tingling associated with neuropathy. 
So we make sure um, when we see patients, this is something we're asking um, about very, very early on. If a patient is experiencing low-grade neuropathy, could monitor. Sometimes we'll have to reduce um, the dose of the medication if the neuropathy is bothersome. Sometimes you will treat with anti-nerve anti pain medications such as gabapentin or Lyrica. There are also small studies. I mean, it hasn't really been replicated, but there have been a couple studies also showing that patients who wear frozen gloves, it's called cryotherapy. They wear it about 15 minutes before certain chemotherapy drugs that can cause neuro, uh, uh, neuropathy, and then they wear it throughout the treatment infusion and for another 15 to 30 minutes after the infusion. Um, the data shows that that may actually reduce the um, the, the development of, of, of neuropathy in those patients. So those are some of the things that we recommend um, in patients, particularly patients that are diabetic. Um, patients with diabetes have a high risk of neuropathy, even without being on, on chemotherapy drugs that can worsen neuropathy. Those are patients that we monitor closely. Those are patients who may want to consider cryotherapy with the frozen gloves if those are available at the center that they're being treated at. Um, so that's just really important to be aware of and questions to ask your, um, your, your oncologist and whoever is managing patients with metastatic um, breast cancer. I think the one thing that we're all realizing in the care of um, cancer patients is the importance of integrative medicine, which is basically a, 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 a part of medicine that promotes physical, emotional, and spiritual health of, uh, of patients that are, are dealing with chronic illnesses. And the way integrated um, medicine works is really just by incorporating multiple evidence-based um, modalities along with the conventional treatment, which would be the chemotherapy and anti-hormone treatment and immunotherapy and monoclonal antibodies. So it's not one or the other, but we're realizing and we have data showing that your standard conventional therapy also with integrative medicine appears to be beneficial um, to many of our patients. A lot of what integrative medicine um, focuses on is physical activity, diet, good fruits, vegetables, whole grains, dietary supplements, mind-body modalities, meditation, yoga, music therapy, spirituality, acupuncture, massage, and then obviously opioids in patients who do have pain that requires additional um, treatment. In terms of some of the other things our patients may experience when they're dealing with um, a metastatic breast cancer, particularly if there is cancer that's um, metastasized to the bones, um, we do um, manage the patients with treatment, but there are certain patients, if there's pain associated with the bone metastatic disease or their concerns about risk for fracture, um, radiation to the painful area, to the painful bone, is something we will um, often um, recommend and give to the patients. For patients that are on endocrine therapy, we do monitor closely because there's a higher risk of osteopenia and osteoporosis. So we um, recommend weight-bearing exercises. We also recommend, um, in addition to vitamin D and calcium, some bone-modifying agents to help build bones and also to strengthen bones that have metastatic deposits in it. Those are medications such as Zometa, Exgiva, that we give to patients with breast cancer that's now in the bone, and we'll give prolia for patients who don't have disease in the bone, but who are at a risk for osteopenia um, or osteoporosis. 
I mentioned neuropathy earlier, which is just pain caused by damage to the nerves. Cryotherapy may help reduce um, the risk, and um, um, medications such as gabapentin and Lyrica will sometimes um, manage some of the discomfort that is associated um, with, with, um, with the neuropathy. Um, in terms of coping with metastatic breast cancer in the context of um, COVID-19, I think the pandemic has been around now for long enough that we've all gotten comfortable with managing patients and not delaying treatment or, or holding treatment because of the pandemic. Early on, there were a lot of patients where treatment was halted. We know we were diagnosing patients later. We know we're probably going to see an increase in um, higher stage breast cancer because we did have a year or two where screening was not happening. But with the um, availability of, of, of vaccines that are very effective, for patients that are fully vaccinated and boosted, we treat these patients like patients who do not have cancer in terms of continuing your treatment, continuing your standard of care. Um, so nothing has really changed. So what we are recommending and what we strongly recommend is that everyone, particularly a patient with a breast cancer diagnosis, get vaccinated, boosted. Obviously, we still have some um, um, behavioral um, modifications that we're doing, such as if we're not sure of people's vaccination status, to keep our distances. So there's still a little bit of social distancing that we're recommending for our patients. Patients who are getting chemotherapy, we generally recommend they, um, you know, just really be cautious for the first week, week and a half after chemo. It's generally when the blood counts are the lowest. So before it recovers, we, um, we recommend that you um, protect yourself. Um, you know, we know that patients with solid tumors, which breast cancer would be considered a solid tumor, have pretty good immunity from the vaccine. We have very good data showing that the risk of COVID and uh, morbidity mortality is higher in patients who have hematologic malignancies. So those are the lymphomas and the leukemias. So our breast cancer patients that are vaccinated are doing um, relatively well, and treatment should not be halted um, for that. And then moving on to just questions to ask your healthcare team regarding quality of life. I think I mentioned some of that already. It's really just having supportive care and um, the medications or treatment and the resources to help, you know, support patients because uh, quality of life is important. Patients with metastatic disease are now living with a chronic illness. The goal really is to improve your quality of life or keep your quality of life at where it was prior to a diagnosis. So physical functioning is um, important and those are quite questions to be asked, psychological well-being, anxiety, depression, if that exists, social support, such as support groups are available at many institutions, so that should be asked um, in terms of, you know, if those are available where you're at. Social workers are amazing, and they really help the clinicians support patients in the ways that are very important to patients. For patients that are spiritual or religious, chaplains are, are, um, are, are available or could be available if that's something that a patient desires. And then I think having caretakers, family members also involved in, in the whole process is um, absolutely important as well. And um, finally, just uh, talking about guidelines to prepare for um, telehealth and some of these telemedicine appointments that Dr. Hussein mentioned earlier, this is now here to stay. We're learning how to use telemedicine as well as in-person visits to manage our patients. And to be honest with you, besides the inability to physically examine a patient, many of the telehealth visits are similar 
to what an in-person visits are. So patients are using their smartphones, iPads, computers um, to access their doctors. You can't really replicate an in-person visit, so it's not the same. So I generally tell patients, number one, no question is insignificant. Any question that a patient deems is important, is and should be important to the physician taking care of the patient. But tell patients, anything that comes up, write it down. So when you see your doctor um, via um, web, whether Zoom or Doximity or whatever platform is being used for this televisit, that those questions are already there. Sometimes a screen really creates brain fog. So writing those questions down, I think asking questions about, you know, what the um, frequency of labs, what the frequency of imaging studies, if you're not seeing a doctor in person, you want to know what the plan for you is until the next in-person visit. I think it's important for self-awareness and to have symptoms that patients are documenting. I think sometimes the access to having access to medical records now um, electronically and having this, this portals where you can see what your doctor thinks about your disease, where you have access to your imaging studies or your lab studies is great because it's giving patients the ability to, to advocate for themselves more. But but on the other hand, there could be some anxiety associated with that because patients now have access to information that they may not have the ability to process. I think if these are concerns, I recommend patients have this conversation with their oncologist as to how to manage, you know, how this um, information is being distributed. There are certain institutions where a, a report is not released to a patient until a doctor decides that it, it should be released to a patient because they want to go over what it all means before seeing a patient. There are patients who sometimes have contracts with their doctors. Okay, don't look at your imaging, don't look at your labs on the weekend because there's not going to be a person in the office to answer any questions or concerns you have. So check Monday through Friday so you can reach out if there are questions. So these are ways to really deal with the direction that medicine is moving into where people are having access to information that they sometimes have to process on their own without the ability or the, the background to really understand what's been sent their way. So I think in summary, I just um, want to um, um, really uh, emphasize the importance of supportive care, the importance of preventing, anticipating, and managing some of the, the side effects associated with treatment or the disease itself. There are agents, there are resources, there are many ways for us to manage side effects that are associated with treatment or disease and just asking your providers about those very early on, even at the start of treatment, I think is, um, is important. So thank you for your time and um, thanks for being present. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Taiwa. That was really extraordinary, just wonderful and actually, um, and also, um, what you said at the end in terms of just really asking your doctors ahead of time what can be done to prevent some of the treatment side effects and manage them is so important. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. So thank you so much. And our next speaker um, is Ms. Sam Fortune. And Ms. Fortune is an oncology social worker with Cancer Care. And she'll be addressing coping with metastatic breast cancer, the financial, emotional, social, and case management concerns. And she'll also go over with you Cancer Kids Free Programs and Services, discuss our Hopeline and our website as a resource as well. So it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Fortune. 
Thank you, Dr. Messner. As mentioned, my name is Sam Fortune, and I'm an oncology social worker at Cancer Care. Um, my role at Cancer Care includes providing like supportive services to individuals and their families impacted by a cancer diagnosis. Um, I, I'm also involved in the Cancer Care's Women's Program, which aims to be a primary source of support, information, and guidance for women and their loved ones who are facing cancer. Um, our goal within the Women's Program is to meet women wherever they're at in their cancer journey and help provide resources and guide them. Um, within the women's program, I work um, specifically with women diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, and I help provide emotional support, um, some guidance on the services, and also um, participate in some of our programming. Um, some comprehensive services cancer care offer include case management, counseling, educational workshops, um, we have like publications, reading material people can read, and then also limited financial assistance. Um, there's many aspects of a breast cancer diagnosis that can be addressed um, through psychosocial supportive services, including making informed decisions, quality of life concerns, clinical trials, fertility options, and communication with one's medical team. Um, as mentioned earlier, too, like um, having those supportive systems make a big difference too, especially with coping with um, the challenges um, a metastatic breast cancer can bring. Um, and as mentioned earlier, um, some people diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer can experience psychosocial effects, including depression and anxiety. Um, however, I've noticed like a lot of African-Americans' experiences with breast cancer vastly differ from other populations, which also add to the psychosocial stress. So as a result, it is very important to bring awareness to how African-Americans cope with cancer. And um, African-Americans can play a role in bringing awareness by bringing these issues up during um, their treatment, including like advocating for themselves, as well as exploring the available resources that they have that, that can utilize for support. Um, this includes letting your provider know when you're struggling with side effects, if you're struggling with feelings of sadness, or if you're struggling with like day-to-day -day obstacles. Um, as mentioned earlier, too, like many hospitals, treatment centers, and nonprofit organizations offer supportive services in which African Americans can utilize. Um, additionally, joining a support group can offer the chance for patients to speak with one another, gather information, and provide support. As a cancer diagnosis can be like very overwhelming, establishing a supportive network through a support group can be helpful um, for additional support and guidance. Um, cancer Care offers several metastatic cancer-specific national online support groups. Um, cancer Care's metastatic breast cancer online support group aims to reduce feelings of loneliness and anxiety, explore new ways of coping, increase feelings of hope and empowerment, and provide pra practical information about treatment and resources. Our online support groups take place using a password protected message board format and are led by um, oncology social workers. Groups are held for about 15 weeks at a time and group members must register to join. Um, anyone can register on our website by going to cancercare.org and then you can select the Our Services tab and then Support Groups. After completing the registration process, members can participate by posting on the groups 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I also um, run the triple negative breast cancer group for African Americans. Um, in such groups, we explore several issues that affect African American women with metastatic cancer, including like skin care, hair growth, and challenges faced um, throughout their treatment. Um, individuals also may um, experience like practical and financial concerns throughout their treatment. 
Um, and I want everyone to know that there is um, a lot of resources and organizations that can help if you are struggling with financial hardships. Um, through Cancer Care, we have a case management program which offers a short-term strength-based approach to patients and caregivers affected by cancer. Um, caregivers and patients who are affected by cancer. Um, a trained specialist will work with a client one-on-one in connecting them to resources, referrals, and financial assistance. And then we also have a um, short-term um, short like grant program so people can also enroll in that as well. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the support services we offer at Cancer Care, I encourage you to call Cancer Care's National Hope Line at 800-813-4673 um, to speak to one of our oncology social workers. Um, at Cancer Care, our oncology social workers are trained in how a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis impacts an individual, um, specifically African Americans, and as well as their loved ones. And we're here to offer you support through this experience, and we all look forward to hearing from you on our hope line. Um, our oncology social workers can share additional information about our services and can also help you explore ways to connect to others, including our support groups and like the financial assistance resources, which I mentioned. And it has been a pleasure to speak in this workshop today. Um, thank you so much for your attention and allowing me the opportunity to speak. And I'll turn the workshop back to Dr. Messner. Thank you so much again. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Fortune. That was really outstanding. Just a wonderful presentation and wonderful resources at Cancer Care. And now I'm going to, um, we're going to go on to the q and I'm going to ask that, um, um, that we, um, we move on to um, the question and answer period. I'm going to ask Dee Tamara to explain to all of you how to queue up for questions, and we'll let the questions begin. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then the number one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking the ask a question. Okay, and we have questions from some of our um, participants. I'm going to actually start with those questions. Um, um, and so, um, <coughs> okay. So, um, a question, let's see, for, um, so for Dr. Um, Taiwo, if my doctor isn't asking about genetic screening, should I ask them about it? So I think that's a question to ask for everyone who's got a, a, a breast cancer diagnosis. And then your doctor can explain um, why genetic testing is beneficial or not. Not everyone who's got a breast cancer diagnosis requires genetic testing, but I think that is definitely a question to be asked. So at least you have an answer as to why it's not being done, because it may not be necessary. But like I said, once again, no question is too insignificant. So absolutely ask, ask, ask everything. Excellent. Um, so this is a question um, for, um, for Dr. Um, Hussein. Um, what can be done to reduce late stage breast cancer among African Americans? Uh, so that's a great question, and um, you know, um, after 
a patient gets diagnosed with early stage breast cancer, of course, depending on the subtype, there might be some treatment after surgery, and that treatment might include chemotherapy, um, hormonal therapy, other biologic therapies. There might be radiation. So I think getting a good recommendation from a multi-D uh, team where they meet up with the, the medical oncologist, the radiation oncologist, the, the surgeon, and then have a good follow-up plan with following the right recommendations for surveillance um, scans to be done um, for the breast and addressing any new questions as they come up right away with their medical providers so that we would not risk anything um, growing or anything uh, happening uh, representing the recurrence going unchecked would be the best way of, um, of doing that. Right now, there are no standing uh, orders for like scans that should be done at a certain interval without symptoms. There are no lab tests like tumor markers that we recommend for early stage breast cancer. Uh, so I think once the symptoms occur, addressing them with the providers right away is the best approach. Thank you. Um, and a question for um, Ms. Fortune. Are there certain topics or wording we should use or not use when trying to address the emotional distress for African-American women, particularly those over 40? Appreciate your insights. Um, yeah, and of course, um, I think stressing that um, you're, especially like I notice a lot of women struggle with feeling depressed during the um, cancer journey, understandably so because of everything that's going on. And then it's kind of stressing that you are feeling sad and depressed, describing like how that depression looks like to you. Um, in the past, from what I've heard from patients, I know sometimes um, what happens is people say, oh, you're strong, you can get through this. But it's kind of reinforcing like, yes, I may be strong, but I'm also feeling sad and kind of um, expressing those feelings so people can further understand that this is not just like, um, basically, you're not just saying it just to say it in that sense. Excellent. Thank you. Um, that's excellent and very helpful. Um, and that's a great question, great answer. Um, and uh, for Dr. Taiwo, what does it mean when my blood markers go up? One of my doctors says I should start a new treatment, but another says, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, that's a great question. Um, and I think Dr. Hussein actually touched on this just a few minutes ago. So unlike certain cancers where the um, tumor markers are very reliable, where you know an increase in tumor marker may mean um, that the disease is progressing and maybe therapy needs to be changed, in breast cancer, tumor markers are sometimes used in patients who are metastatic, but they're not always reliable. There are instances where tumor markers go up in response to um, a good response to treatment. And then there are times where tumor markers go up because the disease is progressing. So generally for doctors who use tumor markers, they use those tumor markers in conjunction with imaging studies and obviously the patient's clinical presentation to make a decision as to whether the patient is progressing or not. I mean, in this particular patient's case, I'm obviously not sure what exactly um, is going on, um, but it, it could be that there is a discrepancy. So I think having that conversation with your doctors, um, what does the tumor marker mean in my case? Is it something that's been followed for a while and are there changes that are being seen? 
Um, is this being used in conjunction with other imaging studies to determine what's going on with the disease and response to treatment, I think is absolutely important. Um, so rarely in breast cancer do we use just tumor markers alone, but it really also depends on the patient's trend and how their tumor markers have been used in the past. So I can't comment specifically, but I think uh, it's a great question and should be um, discussed more with both doctors that you've seen. And so we have a few, these are, I'm going to combine them all for Dr. Taiwo. They're, they're kind of related questions. Um, one is um, what treatment is available to treat lesions? Then the next question is um, about a frozen glove, um, more about frozen glove. If the oncologist doesn't bring it up and you are a diabetic, should you be more insistent? Do you need a doctor's order to get these gloves? Could you say something about that as well? I could definitely say something about the gloves. I'm not quite sure what the first question was about what you do with the lesion. So just uh, if you have lesions, I'm not sure what... Um, that, um, if they what can clarify, but I can answer the second question. So mm -hmm. the, the, the cryotherapy with frozen gloves is not really standard. Like I mentioned, the studies that were done were very small studies. There was one study with 36 patients where they had... Patients wear gloves on one hand and not on the other, and it's been that the hand that had the frozen gloves actually had lower rates of neuropathy at 12 weeks of treatment. So, I, so it's not standard. It's not something that doctors order, but there are certain infusion centers that have it and provide it to patients. These are available actually over the counter on Amazon or any sort of, um, you know, online on retailer for patients that are that are diabetic, you know, knowing how well controlled the patient's um, diabetes is, is important to make decisions about how to dose some of the medications that can cause neuropathy. I know there's actually a study that's looking at certain treatments that cause neuropathy and trying to find a predictive model of who will develop neuropathy based on their underlying um, um, risk factors. So hopefully in the future, we'll actually have a better and more sophisticated way to identify patients that are at risk of neuropathy before they actually get there. So I think if the patient is interested in trying, you know, the, the gloves, having a conversation with your diabetes doctor, because I don't know how, um, how viable the patient's vessels are, because with the frozen gloves, what it's doing is it's causing the blood vessels to constrict, so the chemotherapy doesn't flow, or at least has less um, ability to flow to the nerves to cause damage. But if a patient has bad um, vascular um, function to begin with, a frozen glove may actually not be ideal for that type of patient. So once again, it's just bringing all these questions to your doctor who knows your history and is able to assess, um, I think is always the way to go, but something to consider for sure. Well, I want to thank our speakers and our participants. Um, this has been a phenomenal call. I must say that uh, we could stay on um, for most of the afternoon, but of course, um, there are many more questions in queue. So I want to thank our speakers, and I also want to thank our participants, really. Um, just um, an amazing call. And although we've done this program before, we've had the most wonderful speakers and the most wonderful questions that we've ever had before. So we definitely want to do this program again. Um, but I do want to address um, the issue of those of you who still have questions to ask and haven't had a chance to ask them. So for those of you who've asked a question, for those of you who have a question that you haven't had, didn't have a chance to ask that are wanting to have that question answered, and for those of you who maybe develop a question 
and would like to, you know, uh, who, what do you do with that question? Please take all of the questions, even the ones who got to ask a question, back to your treating healthcare team. We hope that you'll be able to actually ask more informed questions based on what you learned today. And you'll also feel stronger in asking the question because it's a question that you feel is important for you to know your treatment team understands it's a question you have and you would like to have it addressed. Um, so that's very important. Questions are always welcome and I hope you got that impression today. Um, also, we had said this would be a one-hour program, so we try to stay within that time frame. So unfortunately, that's why we can't take everyone's question. Um, but with your doctor, you can actually, of course, in a telehealth visit or when you see them in person, you can have your list of questions, let them know you have questions and that you want to ask them. Um, and also, I would like you to also take advantage of the services that um, Ms. Fortune went over with you that Cancer Care offers um, and any support you need in going back to your healthcare team to get your questions answered in a way that's most helpful to you. Um, as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel that you're alone in coping with metastatic breast cancer as an African-American or with any type of cancer. I want you to now know that you're part of a community of support and we're here to help you. At the end of the day, today's program, you'll be getting a SurveyMonkey evaluation. Actually, it'll be tomorrow. You'll be getting the evaluation. We ask you to please complete that. But we also will be providing you with any resources that were given out during the program that might be helpful to you to have as well. Um, so that will be included in the SurveyMonkey as well. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today. And I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.